You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. I do want to uh, warn you that today's subject uh, is homosexuality. And I will be extremely explicit. Uh, So if you're a parent of a little one and uh, you don't want them to be a part of this discussion, uh, you have my blessing to leave. You will not offend me. Um, I want to respect your parental authority over your family. Um, But if you'll take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. Thank you, dear friend. This is in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, please uh, use the one on the back of the pew in front of you. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible at home, take that Bible home with you. We want to equip you uh, with God's Word. Also provided in your bulletin, uh, there's a full-page insert uh, for you to fill in as we go along this morning. I would encourage you to do that. Uh, And also, if you have a smartphone and you've downloaded the YouVersion Bible app, Y-O-U, you can go to the More tab, tap events, find Mount Carmel Baptist Church, click on today's sermon title, and there you'll find much more notes, quotes, and references that you can fill in and save on your phone. Romans chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 I want to preach to you a message I've entitled after a book by Preston Sprinkle, which is People to be Loved. People to be Loved. God loves all people, including gay people. I do not think you are disgusting. I am not homophobic. I also do not believe that believing the Bible makes me a bigot. The reason I can say that I love the LGBTQ community is that I love God's Word. The love of Christ compels me to tell you the truth in love. The Bible does not treat homosexuality as an agree-to-disagree matter. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says this, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. As a pastor of God's church and a preacher of God's Word, I cannot assure anyone of salvation who remains in unrepentant sin Persistent, unrepentant sexual sin of any kind leads people to hell. The good news is that does not have to be your destiny. 
As Dr. John Stott noted, few subjects have been as explosive as that of homosexuality in recent years. Rapid social change has brought about a degree of acceptance of homosexuality which is unprecedented. According to the Pew Research Center, the percentage of Americans who favor same-sex marriage grew from 31% in 2004 to 61% in 2019. So within 15 years, one out of three went from accepting it to two out of three went to accepting it. Support for same-sex marriage among white evangelical Protestants, which is generally the composition of this church, has grown from 11% in 2004, so essentially one out of 10, to now in 2019, 29%, one out of three. Biblical doctrine about homosexuality has moved from, from being nearly universally accepted to widely contested. And the question that I want to pick up this morning and to survey through Romans 1, 26 and 27 is just a simple question, but it has many ramifications. Is homosexuality a sin? Is homosexuality a sin? In today's Bible passage, the Apostle Paul has been spelling out the predicament that God's saving power in Jesus makes right. It all begins with every one of us knowing God and knowing better. But instead of us acknowledging God, we suppress the truth about God so we don't have to change our lives. We become ungodly and ungrateful. We ignore God and we remove Him from our thinking. But we can never suppress our impulse, our God-given design to worship, or our search for the truth. So we substitute God for idols and laws, half-truths, false truths. These idols and laws bring some measure of satisfaction and something for us to live for and orient our lives around. But they ultimately disappoint, decay, and die. We are left with our passions. And God gives us over to the control of our uncontrollable sexual desires. In today's Bible passage, Paul illustrates that further. Let's read Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Again, my question is, is homosexuality a sin? There's first a sub-question that we have to answer due to revisionist arguments. Is this question, what form of homosexuality is a sin? Revisionists argue 
that Paul here is addressing a different or bad form of homosexuality. The argument goes something like this. There are many bad examples of homosexual behavior in Paul's day. For example, there are ancient sources describing men having sex with boys or masters forcing sex with slaves and relations of that sort. So when the Bible condemns same-sex behavior, it has these examples in mind. We believe this is a faulty conclusion for three reasons. Number one, it would have been well within, within Paul's conceptual framework and vocabulary to single out men having sex with boys or to distinguish between exploitative homosexual relations and consensual ones. Paul could have said that. Second, the issue cannot just be men having sex with boys because Paul also addresses in these verses lesbianism. And there is no record of women having sex with girls in the ancient world. Third, the issue cannot just be masters forcing themselves or sex with slaves or other kinds of sexual abuse because Paul speaks of both parties being inflamed in their lust for one another. He is not just singling out exploitation. What then, and here's what revisionists are trying to protect, what about loving, consensual, same-sex behavior? Here's the problem. Paul condemns the same-sex act itself alone, regardless of circumstances. Is homosexuality a sin? What form of homosexuality is a sin? And the answer to that first question which you write down is according to Romans 1, 26-27, every form of homosexuality is a sin. Every form of homosexuality is a sin. Now we get to a deeper question. Why is homosexuality a sin? Why is every form of homosexuality a sin? And we have to get to an even deeper question about the text. Another question. And it has to do with Paul's use of the terms natural and unnatural. What does Paul mean? by natural relations and unnatural ones. Jackie Hill Perry, please remember that name, Jackie Hill Perry illustrates in her book, Gay Girl, Good God, and I highly recommend the book, Gay Girl, Good God. When, what she describes, her feelings towards someone of the same sex, please listen to this. She says this, our closeness was unlike how preachers had described it. They said it was unnatural, sometimes following it up with a clever rhyme about how God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. By the way, if you say that, you're just showing your ignorance, all right? They, those kind of slurs need to cease from Christian speech. But for me, she goes on, their little silly psalm didn't change how good it felt to be near her. What they called strange 
felt more like natural to me than heterosexuality had ever been. Her entire body made me feel at home in myself. I held her tighter, not wanting it all to fade into a dream again where I was only gay in my sleep. Here's where we as Christians have done a pathetic job of explaining what Paul means by natural and unnatural. The words for natural and, an un and unnatural do not describe our subjective experience of what feels natural to us or unnatural to us. Please catch what I'm saying. Natural does not mean what is natural to me. Natural refers to God's objective design or His created order. Unnatural means to violate that order that God has established. Write this down. Christians, you need to know these terms. Natural and unnatural are about God's design, not about our desires. That's what we have gone wrong. We've told people that somehow it will feel unnatural. That's not what the text is saying. The text is saying they're giving up natural, God-created and ordered relations. That's what this text is saying. This shows us why it is not true for those who say, but God made me this way. Paul's point in Romans 1 is that our nature, the disgraceful passions as we subjectively experience them, are not natural, meaning what? God objectively intended them to be that way. It literally is against. When you say that, that's not what this text is saying. It is a sign instead that all of us, not just homosexual or the gay community, are sinners, that we've all gone astray, and that we've all went our own way. Again, Jackie Hill Perry nails this in her book. She says, same-sex desires are actual but the actuality of the affection doesn't make them morally justifiable desires exist because God gave them to us but homosexual desires exist because sin does alright I need you to see that we're not saying your desires are an illusion they are real but that does not mean they should be acted on and you orient your life around them. The presence of same-sex desire in some is not an indication that they have turned from God more than others or have been given over by God to further sin more than others. Heterosexuals desire what we are not naturally designed to do too. I'll get to that more in a moment. All of us, every single person under the sound of my voice, has desires that are warped as a result of sin. Desires for things that God has forbidden are a reflection of how sin has distorted each and every one of us, not how God has made us. That's what we're arguing in Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Here's the doctrine, the teaching of this passage that you need to take away. The doctrine is this. Every form 
of homosexuality is unnatural. Every form of homosexuality is unnatural. That does not mean unnatural by my personal subjective experience or feelings. We mean it as unnatural in the sense it is against or a violation of God's design and order for sexuality. And it's also this. It is a sign of God's wrath against humanity, not just the homosexual or gay community. The fact that homosexuality exists in society, if you remember Paul's full argument in Romans chapter 1 starting in verse 18, the fact that it exists at all is a sign that God's wrath is simmering against all people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So even if you're not a homosexual, you need to understand that because homosexuality exists, it is a sign that all of us are under God's wrath. So what? Is there any help? Is there any hope? We have to remember what led Paul to begin to speak and spell out about the human predicament. Let's go back to Romans chapter 1, and you have to start in verse 15. This is where the epicenter of his argument begins. Listen to what he says. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And then listen to verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone. Did you hear that, church? To everyone. That includes every person he goes on to speak about. To everyone who believes first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for in it is the righteousness of God which is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Here's what I need you to write down and take away. In Jesus' name, we call everyone, everyone, to repent of sin and believe Jesus Christ as Savior and God. We call you to repent of your sin and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and God. God's message for gay people is the same message for everyone, okay? It's the exact same gospel. Jesus freely and fully forgives all who repent of their sins and believe in Him. Please do not misinterpret me. And here's where we as a church have gone wrong as well. We are not saying that the moment you turn from your sins and trust Jesus as your Savior, that you will be delivered from your homosexual inclinations, that you'll never be tempted again, and in fact, you will have heterosexual desires. The Bible does not say that. This is a call to repentance of every sin, any and all sin, the same sins that heterosexuals struggle with, and only Jesus can make us right with God, not perfect repentance. Repentance, church, have we forgot even for heterosexuals? Repentance is hard. Following Jesus is hard. Remember what Jesus said in Mark 8, 34, if anyone 
wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Do you understand that following Jesus and repenting of your sins is excruciating? You along with everyone else who follows Jesus is called to a life of repentance and self-denial. That's the part that I have to emphasize. I am not saying you'll become a heterosexual. I am asking you in Jesus' name to repent of your sins and deny yourself just as every follower of Christ is called to deny themselves. It can be hard to deny your homosexual inclinations. Please get me. I am not telling you that a fruit of the Spirit is that you will have heterosexual desires. That is not what the Bible teaches. But here's what I can tell you. In Jesus' name, when you repent of your sins and trust Christ as your Savior, that the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit will enter into your life and He will make possible for you self-control. That's what He makes possible to everyone. He makes possible the power which we can deny ourselves. Jackie Hill Perry, again, pictures this beautifully. She says this, While doing some small talk with a customer who had more questions than I had patience for, I noticed a girl standing in line. She was beautiful. If it were any other day, I would have stared in her direction long enough for her to, to notice. Even if she wasn't gay, I was confident that I could be all the motivation she needed. If she stared back with a smile, it would be her way of telling me the truth about herself without saying one word. But today, I couldn't stare. Well, I could. Salvation didn't disable my eyes from functioning, nor her beauty from disrupting the room. I could have, without question, done what I always done, allow this body to rule me. But in it sat another master, however, one who was involved with an empty tomb and a risen Savior. Amen? She knew, hey, there's another master in control now, right? And she goes on. Marriage, she would later marry. Marriage didn't prove that I'd changed. The fruit of the Spirit did. Did you catch that? Marriage didn't prove that I changed, but the fruit of the Spirit did. The power to look at the things I loved once and conclude them as worthless was all the apologetic, all the reason that God needed to remind the world of His power. What a beautiful thing. She gets it so good. The Spirit does not allow does not, excuse me, always eradicate the desires of the flesh because we have not yet shed this body of sin. But the Spirit can overcome the controlling influence. When Paul said, remember from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, these things some of you used to be, these things some of you used to be, he was not guaranteeing former adulterers that they would never again experience sexual desire for people other than their spouse or former thieves and swindlers that they would never again be tempted by material possessions 
to bring it closer to home for heterosexuals. This is what we're talking about. We still have the same struggles too. We just offer a different kind of repentance or gospel to homosexual people, and that's unfair. That's not what the gospel has called us to. Listen to this. Dr. James White put it this way. What matters is not so much where you are tempted, friends, but what you do with that temptation. I may have moments, I love this as a pastor, he says, when in my anger I desire to inflict bodily harm on someone. In fact, a person who struggles with anger is very much oriented to that very action. But that's different than it authorizing me to give, it, to give in to the feeling and act on it. But like any other desire outside of God's will for our lives, it calls us to resist the temptation. As a straight man, I may have desires for sexual fulfillment outside of marriage with a woman who isn't my wife, but that is no different in God's eyes than homosexual temptations another person might have. When faced with the temptation, it is up to both of us, homosexuals and heterosexuals, to either turn away from the desire or to give into it. It is the same gospel of repentance that we are called to. Now, what are we as a church supposed to do with homosexuals or the gay community? And I want you to write this down. Number two, in Jesus' name. And listen, in Jesus' name, we offer friendship and prayer. We offer friendship and prayer. Richard Loveless calls for a double repentance. Namely, that gay Christians renounce their active lifestyle and that straight Christians renounce homophobia. Dr. John Stott wrote it this way, If homosexual people cannot find mutual love and identity in the local church family, we have no business to go on using that expression. The alternative is not between, here's what we should not tell homosexuals, the alternative is not between the warm physical relationship of homosexual intercourse and the pain of isolation in the cold. We are not calling you to isolation. There is a third option. Namely, a Christian environment of love, understanding, acceptance, and support. I do not think there is any need to encourage homosexual people to disclose their sexual inclinations to everybody. There is neither, that is neither necessary nor helpful, but they do need at least one confidant to whom they can unburden themselves who will not despise or reject them, but will support them with friendship and prayer. Church, we have to be that. That's what we are called to be. Going, if you come in, we cannot affirm, we will not accept your lifestyle, but you are welcome, and we will listen to you, and we will love you, and we will walk with you through it all. That's the stance that we have to take as Christians. To, to both uphold our witness and our friendship. There has been a long tension between the fast food company Chick-fil-A 
and the LGBTQ community. The restaurant's president and COO, Dan Cathy, is open about his Christian beliefs, including his opposition to same-sex marriage. Shane Winmeyer is an activist for the LGBTQ community and the founder and the executive, of, and executive director of Campus Prod, which he calls the leading organization, national organization for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, LGBT, and ally college students. He also is an openly gay man. Because of their different worldviews, we would expect Kathy and Winmeyer to consider each other enemies and to be open about their outrage. In 2012, at the height of the controversy between the LGBTQ activist groups like Campus Prod and Chick-fil-A, Winmeyer received an unexpected phone call from Kathy. This private phone call led to a series of calls, text, and an in-person conversation. Both men listened and treated each other with respect. Although neither changed their core beliefs, they had a productive dialogue that led to a friendship. We learned about each other as people with opposing views, recalled Winmeyer, not as opposing people. Eventually, Kathy invited Winmeyer to be his personal guest at the Chick-fil-A Bowl on New Year's Eve in 2012. Both risked fallout from the respective supporting groups by being seen together, but they chose to do so anyway. The example set by these two men proves that it is possible for change to occur when groups are willing to listen to one another with mutual respect. This is the path Jesus calls us to, and it is a much better alternative to outrage. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.